Welcome everybody to Spirit Acts by Sideline Sports Network. Coming to y'all for uh, not an instant, but pretty close reaction recap to the Florida State versus BC game. Um, we were all three there, James, Taylor, and myself. And it was absolutely probably one of the most exciting games that I've been to in quite some time. But I'm going to see if I can show this on here and it'll make us small enough so we can start the show off with how the game started because it was absolutely amazing. Inside the 20 with a stiff arm, and how's that for a start for the Knowles? You know, the kick, you mentioned it, you know, a bit of a short kick. He's able to kind of hit it running. You see there, just missed tackles. It wasn't like Michael Pickett. I will say this, and I'll open up the door right here. Do you see Sam McCall at kickoff return again this season? I'll go ahead and just just throw that question out there right now. If Benson's not hurt, no. I mean, is it is it fair to say that if you don't have Benson, Span is there? Mm. Would you? I mean, me personally, if it was up to me, yes. I mean, I mean, would you go that far down? Like, I'm not saying McCall has done god awful, but he's he's kind of failed to adjust right now. And you're seeing that he's a true freshman. You're seeing those moments are still coming up. But does that mean that he is a little bit further down the depth chart in terms of returnability right now, especially with Winston Wright? kind of edging his way back up. Uh, his return table for his injury is kind of getting closer and closer. He's taking a little bit more individualized practices. Will we be able to kind of see Sam McCall more in the special teams aspect, but probably not in the kickoff return aspect as we've seen before? Yeah, I would say so. But yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that, you know, that was something that Florida State really, really needed to see. And, of course, not having a kickoff return touchdown since Kermit Whitfield, uh, that's that's pretty impressive. And it's pretty scary to say, especially with Florida State in recent years with that. That kind of scares me a little bit. Um, I think the recent punt return was DJ Matthews against Miami uh, in 18, if I remember correctly. So we will definitely – see if we can kind of add on to that as Micah Pittman kind of gets closer to the season and, and closer to the end of the year. Maybe he might be able to spring one loose, but we'll see. So how – still can't hear you. So how awesome was it, you know, that we had Jared Verse missing, still had Fabo missing, mm-hmm. still – you know, I mean, we had – had quite a few players, quite a few key players missing. Yeah. 
And for Florida State, you know, I'm not going to get off on the realms of saying that the Boston College was anything better than what they are. Yeah. But we all thought that that game would be more competitive from their standpoint than it was. Yeah, I mean, I really thought that Phil Djokovic and also Isaiah Flowers, I thought that combination of your cornerbacks weren't necessarily great. Uh, Cooper had been a little bit more banged up recently. Um, Renato Green's been solid. You know, Knowles has been solid for the most part. And Jerry and Jones has been, you know, really good at times and really kind of struggling at times. And you thought they could kind of exploit some of our defensive backs back there, minus the safeties. Um, and even the safeties still have something to prove. You know, everybody on this team has something to prove. But He's just cold. overall, I thought they were going to be able to exploit that a little bit more. And you saw it, Djokovic. He had, what, 130 yards passing on the day? Uh Pretty pretty rough outing, and I don't think he ever got really protected anything by the offensive line, specifically what you were talking about with Lovett and Burse uh, being out for the game. I thought that was very impressive to see our defensive line. And Patrick Payton, man, he just keeps getting better and better. And you, you just see that time and time again. The confidence is there. He needs to get a little bit bigger uh, still in terms, but he has done a good job with his body so far too. So we'll definitely see how it pans out. I'm afraid to talk. Yeah, you're good. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> I agree. Um, I agree with that. I mean, the depth is um, something that we haven't had in years. Um, just looking at this, you know, being on the sideline, which I want to admit, normally I hate, but like that was cool. Like this game was like really, really cool to be on the sideline. But seeing Fabian on the sideline, Seeing verse, um, even the offensive linemen out there, um, it's just the fact that we were so dominant in the trenches just speaks for the emphasis on recruiting for the 2022 cycle um, in the transfer portal as well as um, on the high school side um, and just where you're at now. So um, I can't wait to see where they go at uh, from here. Well, so everybody knows we'll – I'm going to, you know, kind of let everybody – maybe if you don't know if you're watching, but this will be the last show uh, that we have uh, in tradition to um, – there'll be some things that are changed as far as, like, there'll be commercials that come into our show because we're going to be on television. There's going to be um, ads that, that come in, um, a lot of promotions that come in. But our shows are going to be about 45 minutes in length and time. And there's going to be about 15 minutes of commercials. So this is going to be different than what it is now. Uh, so I'm, I kind of want everybody to, you know, kind of brace and get ready for it. And the cool thing is that if you have um, World Sports Network, if you have uh, Roku TV or Apple TV or Amazon Prime TV, or multiple streaming services, box cast, there's all kinds of stuff out there. But if you have that, you'll actually be able to turn on your television and watch the Sporadic Sideline Sports Network show. Um, you can still see it on YouTube. You can still watch it on Facebook. You'll still be able to watch it on Twitter. And I'm perfectly fine with you doing so. That's not a problem. But what I'm not positive on yet is if those commercials 
go on the social side, it might just the screen might just go blank for the period of time that the commercial is running. So don't I don't want everybody freaking out and thinking that, that means we're just off or there's something wrong technical wise because there's not. It's just the fact that there is a commercial that has came on. Um, so bear with that time. Most commercials are 30 seconds to a minute and six seconds long. The issue is, is there's two or three of those played throughout the, um, the, the divot of each break. It's not just one ad and then we're back. It's two to three ads and then we're back. So, I don't want everybody freaking out on social that are used to watching us on Facebook or used to watching us on Twitter um, or YouTube. I think it's going to work fine on YouTube. I think Twitter and Facebook may be the two that just kind of go blank and you don't see nothing. Um, that won't always be that way, but for this first show, it's probably going to be that way. Um, and then eventually, uh, about show three or four, you'll start seeing uh, one or two of us um, in an actual studio setup. Um, and then eventually you're going to start seeing Taylor in the aspects of doing interviews live and stuff to that nature when he's at the games and practices and stuff to that nature. So without putting too much of that out there, that's that's there's just going to be some changes to the show that people aren't used to. Um, and I kind of want to express that before, you know, this being the last episode, I could have waited till the end, but right now I have everybody's attention. So therefore I'm giving it to you now. Um, so, so that y'all know, I appreciate everybody that's supporting spirit addicts. I, you have no idea what it means to all of us. Um, if it wasn't for you guys listening to us talk about the team that we all love and some of the, some of y'all that listen, hate, um, we wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to do what we're about to be doing. So with that said, I'm ex extremely um, excited for this. I'm extremely ready for this, have been for quite some time. So um, nothing but good things are coming, you know, for Spirit Addicts and what, what we're all doing. So I, I just want to say keep supporting us. Um and we'll continue to do the show the way that we do it. It's just small things are changing. I will ask this question, and you can answer it however y'all want to in order-wise, but how do y'all feel that Florida State's defense did as a whole throughout the entire four quarters of the game? James, you want to go first? Yeah, I think they did um, great. I think – you know, obviously, you don't want to give up those two touchdowns. Um, it was funny to see Coach Fuller um, living about that. Like, he, they, they all wanted to pitch the shutout. But you saw guys constantly putting pressure, and that's what you want to see, especially when you have young guys going. Now, the linebacker play kind of dipped a little bit. Um, you got to have – McCall's got to get his ball skills a little bit more. Not bad coverage. You just got to be able to recognize – um, where it's at to where you can make a, an interception or break it up. But that comes with being young. Uh, and guys just got to continue to give reps. But when I look at guys like Azariah, I think I said it right. I think I got it right that time. But um, him getting involved and acting early in the game and playing at a very high level, like I think he read a trick play. 
um, basically just diagnosed it and just made a very good heads-up play. That's kind of all you can ask for, um, especially when you're getting in blowouts. You want guys to get quality reps against an opponent that doesn't know your tendencies and that doesn't really care for you. So it's the best live scrimmage you can possibly get. So I, I liked it. I liked the way they were coaching hard to the end. And I think that's indicative of a little bit of a, I hate this word, but culture change. Yeah, I'll kind of allude to James's point as well. He talked about this in a previous live video that we had, and he wanted to talk about how Florida State really hasn't put their foot on somebody's throat. And that's exactly what we did in this game. And when Jordan Travis was announced that he was going to be available and playing and starting in this game, uh, you felt pretty much that it was going to be a, a good situation for Florida State offensively um, and defensively because they absolutely carried and, and knew what was coming for that team. And uh, you just saw a dominant performance uh, from start to finish and thought Florida State did a good job. Like like James was talking about, they, they allowed those two touchdowns closer to late in the third quarter, late in the fourth quarter, got to clean those things up. But overall, you know, I think it's going to be a really good year for Florida State, especially if they have Jordan Travis healthy in there. Yeah, and here's here's something I want to bring up. We did, in my opinion, I, I mean, I personally didn't see it but once in the entire game. And I had pretty good seats where I could see the whole field and it was it was extremely satisfying to me to see our DBs not blow coverage. Even though he couldn't get the pass out because of the you know pass pressure that we were putting on him, I never seen a spot to where he could have gotten rid of the ball down the field when they went for the longer routes. I never seen anyone just completely out of spot or you know. Uh, burnt at any time. So that that one was really nice. Secondly, the line the linebacker play did dip a little bit. Um but I kind of uh expected it when you we we were given good field position almost six times. Like so I mean, we were scoring fast when we did get the ball back. So the defense wasn't really getting the greatest breaks in the world. Um but the and James got to be on the sideline, so he got to feel the the excitement and what that sideline uh, was really like. And he was texting me while he was down there, letting me know he's like, "Man, this is wild on the sideline. It's just different." And you can so it made me start paying attention to the sideline, how they were responding to what was going on in the field, and. I mean, with other than being on the sideline to notice it yourself, but being able to see it because he brought it to my attention because my eyes were stuck on the ball on the field. I couldn't get off of the game because of how exciting everything continued to be play by play. And then when he brought it to my attention and I saw the sideline, that just the atmosphere itself of, you know, dope being sold out, it was absolutely loud. I mean, I you would have thought we were playing for an ACC championship at that time, like in my opinion. That's how great it was. And I'm hoping that we get to do it, you know, two games in a row. I'm not going to say two weeks in a row, but two games in a row. I hope we're able to feel dope like that and show Wake Forest when we play them the exact atmosphere that Boston College just got to deal with. 
Hey, James, I got a question for you. So I know when we did that interview with uh, Trey Benson, we talked about his favorite places to eat and everything. And you said mm-hmm. you were going to teach him around town a little bit, feed him some stuff, think about everything like that. Man, he's been running hard, man. Right? What, what have you been feeding him? Like, what, what's kind of went into that, man? You know, I want to say I get feeding him. I, I got there one time. I couldn't get him to, to, to come hang out with me, you know. They didn't want to hang out with the old man. But I will say this. I, Trey Benson has, is aware, um, and he's learning. He's a young guy. Um, and this is why I always tell people it's not that Trey Benson isn't going to be a premier back at Florida State. It's just Trey Sean Ward's show right now. He's so patient. And even he's talked about, I'm learning how to be patient like Trey Sean sees the holes. And then when he hits it, just like on that kickoff return, I saw him in the scrimmage. And when he took off, I was like, I'm not hitting him if he's at full speed. That's asinine. That's crazy. Um, and it's just a lot of man to hit. And he runs possessed, as I call it. Or I say that as my position coach used to call it, AFOP, accelerate feet on contact. He does that extremely well. Now, when he continues to recognize the hole and be patient, and then he explodes through the hole, man, he's going to be fierce and tough. And it and it really helps your quarterback. It helps Jordan Travis be a quarterback or even Tay Ronbaker um, when he was in there. They bit so hard that he was able to pull. And he was able to get a nice long run. Um, it just sets up our offense. And you try. it's three different styles of running, man. But I, but I think he's hungry. And I had a friend who actually inboxed him. And, no, he tweeted, you know, Trey – Trey Benson just needs to run a little bit harder. He needs to hit the holes harder. Trey literally inboxed him and said, you're right, sir. I'm going to be working on that. I'm going to make you proud next game. And then, boom. So now my friend thinks he's Trey Benson's motivation. But it is a coincidence. But I joke. I'm going to let him take that. Just like I take credit for us being 4-0. We weren't 4 We were 0-4 before I did the war chant, before I went to band practice. Before and all now, and I'm trying to convince um, David Platt to let me to, to put an MFTK um, formation on the field so that we can go to the college football playoff. So, but you know, whatever motivation guys need, but I think Trey Benson has just had a game, like a, a hell of a game. Well, Taylor, I'm going to ask you a question. How do you feel about? I want to know if – like, I know that Trey had a breakout game. Mm -hmm. But how did you feel – you know, it was close to the end of the game, but how did you feel about how Rodney Hill ran the ball at the closer to the end of the game? I thought he ran pretty well. Um, You you could see the potential in him. I I know he's not going to be a big factor this year. Of course, he's just kind of coming in reserve duty, mop-up duty there. Um, But, you know, you're still going to see a little bit more reps from him against Louisiana Lafayette. You know, maybe, maybe Georgia Tech as well because they just fired Collins today. That was fully expected. Um, we'll see where they go with that head-catching situation. But just overall, I think Rodney Hill is a very talented back that they really like. Um, and a lot of these kids, they're bought in. Um, it could have been easy for a guy like Kentron Portier, for example, having his first career touchdown, having that huge catch, uh, building a lot of confidence for him. And, you know, next thing you know, he catches that touchdown pass. And that, that may be the confidence he needs for the rest of the season. 
Uh, Darian Williamson, another kid that come in, had five receptions for 98 yards. It's another guy that wants his opportunity. And these wide receivers and these running backs and these skill position players are really, really buying in right now. And you can really see it. I do have another question. Did y'all notice do spam play at all? Yeah, he, he played. I don't know how many snaps he played, but I, I did notice him on about 10 snaps at least. I noticed his blocking. Yeah. He did a really good job on a lot of the bubble screens that we were running. Um, just unselfish. I think he had one play. I think he was underthrown or something happened with it. But he um, he's in – it's just crazy when you think about this. You've got – Guys that at any given point can explode and have a Johnny Wilson type game. And even in this game, there were a lot of drops early, but it still they still kept that composure and uh, moving forward. But I think um, Deuce is just confidence, building confidence. He's still light years away from where I saw him in the spring. In the spring, I was like, here, this kid is a project. I don't expect much from him this season. But then coming into fall camp, I'm like, wow, all right, never mind. This kid is is something to be dealt with. But McLean, um, it's just going to be – I think it's going to be in games. You're just going to see guys just not get the call. And that's the, the downside right now of not having a true just number one wide receiver. We got some good wide receivers, but we don't have that guy yet. And when if that emerges from this group, or we bring them in, um, in recruiting or somebody else, it's going to just take that passing game to another level. Yeah, and I will also add to that as well because you know Florida State got five-star wide receiver Hakeem Williams, and huge get for Florida State in terms of future, everything like that. And then you point to the PFF grades. Florida State's number one in PFF grades, according to wide receivers. Number two is Ohio State. That is elite company. And everybody talked about before how Coach Norvell uh, kept Ron Dugans for another season. Everybody was kind of complaining about the recruiting efforts and how Dugans needed to develop some wide receivers here and there. And you're starting to see that kind of pay dividends. Um, Mike believed in his guys. And James and also Chris has talked about this in previous podcasts. He believes in his staff, and he's going to continue to believe in his staff no matter what. So ride or die with your staff as it is. And uh, like I said, Ron Dugans has really, really showcased what he can do as an an assistant coach here and uh, specifically trying to develop those wide receivers into something special. Well, I love the fact that, you know, we were up pretty big on Boston College at this point in the game when uh, Fitz missed an extra point. And it took some time when he got to the sideline for this to start to occur, but it did happen, and I was glad to see it. Papucha's come over there, it seemed like, that's I'm, I'm assuming I saw, kind of kind of getting real close to his face. And it was more of a – I want to say it was upbeat, but I'm sure there was some get-your-head-in-the-game kind of thing said because he was aggressive about what he was saying. Um Luckily, you know, we're not getting into the situations to where a game's coming down to a 45-yard field goal. Um, but, we, you know, everybody – if we're going to hold everybody accountable on the outside, whether they be quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, linebackers, defensive line, 
the special teams being able to return the ball and Trey Benson like he did on the first play of the game. We have got to start figuring out what's going on with the field goal kicking game. It, it's got to improve some way, somehow. And I think that that's the first start of it. You know, obviously in practice, but seeing a coach get after him, even though we're up 30-some-odd points, whatever, at the time, there's still coaching going on on the sidelines. There's still things that the coaches are noticing that aren't up to standard. And that's what I really like seeing. So I was wondering, James, when you were on the sideline, did you notice any – I mean, I, I, it was probably hard, but did you notice any special things that were happening coaching-wise while you were on the sideline, or were you more or less paying attention to the game? Um, yeah, I did notice. I noticed um, the defense, no matter how good or successful they are, they were still coaching up on the mistakes. Um, Fuller, I want to say, was getting – not getting into it. I want people to not – he was coaching. Um, Jamie Robinson, and I think Jamie made a mistake. And Jamie was like, "That's not what I said." Well, we don't. And I heard Fuller say, "Well, let's go see. It. I'll show you what you did." And I like that because it's the intensity, and it's an intentional intensity. So what I mean by that is everybody's bash Fuller. One, Malik Cunningham is really, really good. <laughs> um, uh, Jaden Daniels and LSU, outside of losing to us, has been cooking. They'll probably win eight or nine games this year. But Fuller is literally on people's butt. I want it done this way. And when people talk about building a culture, that's what it is. It doesn't matter if you have success. Um, my position coach used to joke, you're going to do it my way, and if you don't do it my way, you better, you better work. But then we're going to still coach you up to do it my way. So Fuller's like, while it might have worked, nobody scored, we got them off the field. It's not about this team. It's about what we'll wait for to see. And are your tendencies coachable or is this something that's too? There's a phrase in football. You're either coaching it or you're allowing it. So I can't allow it because if I do, I'm basically coaching. So you saw that. You also saw a lot of guys um, really encouraging each other, especially the injured guys. A lot of times injured guys kind of play the back and get out of the way. But you saw Robert Scott limping everywhere. You saw uh, Fabian Lovett and Jared Verse kind of having a really uh, playful banter. He's like, right, come on, limpy. Like, <laughs> you know, it's time to move up and down. And those guys encouraging, telling them what they saw. Uh, you saw D-Mac really enthused. You saw, really, it, and it, this is what was dope with defense. Caleb doesn't. Caleb Deloach doesn't talk. Little bro doesn't say anything. Like he's very quiet, and he. But his play was very loud. But he did the hitting, and then everybody else did the rah 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 part, and he kind of worked. And then Jordan Travis, I just want to speak on like the leadership style of him. He's it's just he's a guy who walks in a room or walks around and all eyes are on him. He commands respect. He commands the huddle. And even when he wasn't in, he still was over there. Kate 
looking at him as the veteran. Duffy looking at him as the veteran. Everybody stayed engaged. I liked it. And the coaches were on it. So um, it gives me hope. And I can see how they didn't fold when Louisville got a lead. I can see, you know, this team consistently getting better because they're being coached that way. Taylor, I'm going to ask you, you know, other than Trey Benson having a hat trick basically with three touchdowns, ran hard extremely well. Who stood out to you in this game on offense and defense um, and why? I mean, really, when you look at it, I know the obvious answer is Jordan Travis because, my gosh, he, he was sensational in the pocket, didn't take any bad sacks or anything like that. The one uh, evasion that he had in the pocket, he was able to scramble for a 13-yard gain and get a first down. Um, slid very well, wasn't wasn't anything that he was endangering himself or anything like that. We talked about this before in the preview show was that he didn't need to re-injure that ankle and he was able to kind of stay up front with everything. And it was just a great uh, command by him because you knew Florida State had to have it. Um, everyone talked about how, oh, we can just go in there and sweep Boston College. Well, that may be true, but you, you don't need to take this game for it for granted at this point. You know, every win matters. And if you're able to go 4 and up, you're able to go 4 and out and get to the next game, which is Wake Forest. Um, then on the defense side of the ball, I, I think it's got to be Kalen Deloach. I think he was flying around everywhere that you go. Uh, Tatum Bethune was also a close second. I thought that he was very flying around also. Um, Randy Shannon has done a great job. And I talked about with Ron Dugans just, just a few minutes ago. Um, it's the same situation. Everybody wanted, well, why, why is Randy Shannon being promoted to linebackers coach and also defense coordinator? Well, you're seeing it right here. The linebacker room is uh, pretty good, and I think it's probably been the best linebacker core that we've had here since probably 2015 with Terrence Smith. Um, pretty close. It's about about that range, and I just think there's a lot of potential coming out of that room. Now, we're a little bit thin on the depth side of position, but with DeMarco Ward and also Blake Nicholson in the fold, hopefully we're able to get those signed in, in December and kind of move on from there, but just uh, those those three guys in particular are, are three guys that I look out for. Um, I talked about before with Darian Williamson on the wide receiver side of things. If there's an underrated player, I would definitely vote for him as well. Um, and that's just kind of the the four guys I guess you could say that I can turn to in this game. Well, I'm going to throw out that I agree with so much of who you're picking. Um, and I'm going to say this because it's not going to hit the stat line so much. But the guy that really impressed me on defense, other than Kalen and Bethune, was Derek McClendon this game. He didn't quite get the sack or he didn't quite get to the guy. Except for once, it didn't end up being a sack because he had a one-yard gain. But D-Mac did get that one scramble that he forced whatever his name is into. But he got that that tackle, you know, for a one-yard gain. But so many times, whether he lined up on – you know, the right side or the left side, there was so much pressure coming from that side that was pushing, you know, that pocket the, the opposite way, which is the reason why I think we had two interceptions the way, in the fashion that we did. That one that Greedy Vance ended up with was all because of pocket pressure. He had to get rid of that ball before he was taken down. Now there was, you know, two or three knolls at him, but where the pocket started breaking down was on McClendon's side. So it forced him to go that way. So I started – I'm seeing more out of McClendon. He seems to be growing into his own, 
which it might be because he's getting more snaps now that Verse is out. But another guy that I think did a very good job was Patrick Payton. I think that he started really creating a lot of pressure when he was in the game. So maybe y'all can go back and tell me who this was. Who was the tight end that scored the touchdown uh, last week um, when we played against uh, Louisville? It was like the first touchdown we scored. Preston Daniel. Was it? Mm-hmm. Did he so did he get any touches or catches this week? I saw him in the game, but I didn't see if he got any. I didn't see any. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we lining Wyatt Rector up anymore, or is he just pretty much playing special teams? It's kind of a go on package, special teams type uh, gadget. I, I don't even really know how to say it. It's a very odd situation. I do like how they're kind of lining up Marquise and Douglas as an inline blocker. I think that actually is pretty efficient for him. Don't think his hands are quite as good right now. I still think he's got to work on a little bit more. He's got to get that body weight down a little bit more too. But just overall, I think that they're using him uh, pretty efficiently with with where he's at right now as a skill set. Well, James, if you don't mind, um, speak on, you know, a couple of guys offense and defense-wise that you were impressed with. Maybe it's just because of growth within itself. I'm going to be honest with you. I had no idea who the hell number 21 was. And um, until I saw him, like, why are we giving him the ball? But, you know, it was good. I mean, it was – it was that's Danielson, right? If I'm wrong, uh, Williamson? Williamson, excuse me. Yeah, Williamson. Um, did well. I mean, that's, how you, that's how you get noticed. Get your name called by making some plays. Uh, I would say him and Trey Benson were the um, the two on offense. Obviously, with the way Jordan Travis played, very gutsy, um, considering he wasn't able to finish the game last week, um, and everybody thought that he wasn't going to be there. So that's great that he was able to finish the game. Um, defensively, you know, Grady Vance getting an interception. I mean, and – Number seven, yeah. Darren Jones. I, I hear so many people talk so badly about Jerry and Aaron, but he did not mess up at all. I saw him do very well this game. And outside of that, I would just say, really, the linebacker play was, was so elite, so fun. Sideline to sideline, what Boston College was trying to do for whatever reason in their game plan, it was we're going to beat them on the edge. And they weren't able to do that. Um, you know, and the way Trey Benson and both him and Kevin have been playing has been lights out, especially when you don't have an Amari Gainer or anybody else really to be able to come in there and, and loosen up the slack. So those guys are playing high. I mean, let me refer to DJ Lundy is playing playing really good, especially as a downhill linebacker. But but what Kalen's able to do being downhill and sideline to sideline is going to translate um, to the next level. So that would be my guys uh, that I believe were, were did extremely well. But I want to say something. Um, Taylor had mentioned that it wasn't his opinion, but it's a lot of people's opinion. Oh, that was Boston College. That was this. That was that. Yeah. 
I remember very vividly because my opinion was so counter or has been so counter to everybody else's opinion. I don't know if that's just what I do naturally when I see everybody saying, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good. I have to go and say, nah, we're not that good. But then when everybody's saying, oh, we're bad, we're bad, we're bad, now I have to say we're good. But I have consistently made this statement that there isn't a team on our roster, or excuse me, on our schedule, that we just aren't matching up with. That being said, the counter to all of that was LSU has Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly's a good coach. Jaden Daniels is better than Jordan Travis. Everybody told us how much better LSU was. And outside of the final six minutes of the game, it was clear that Florida State was head and shoulders. And a lot of assumption is made that if they would have tied the game, they would have come back and won an overtime when they were dominated the entire game. Duquesne, whatever. Um, people said Louisville will beat us with Malik Cunningham. It didn't happen. And all I heard was about how good Boston College's quarterback is. And they have an elite wide receiver who was re allegedly went through NIL Everybody and their mom, one of them. Rumors that he turned down with five to eight million dollars. Which, if he did, he's good. It's crazy. Is he that good though? I, I mean, first of all, well, I'm with you. I'm just saying yeah. the narrative not too long ago was they have an elite quarterback and they have an elite wide receiver, and now it's just Boston College. Yeah, you know so. It, they're just Boston College or they're just LSU or they're just Louisville when we win. But if we were to lose, we would have used these as either excuses or somebody would have been like, of course you didn't win. But that's just kind of going back to what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to discount what these teams are because we handle them. At the end of the day, they're good teams. Look at Louisville. Louisville goes to South Florida, who should have beat Florida the week before, and beats them 48-0. Louisville is clearly able to score. So I just want to make sure the fan base isn't discounting how dominant we're, we are because we feel the Syracuse, good quarterback. ACC has some really good quarterback play. Um, and I just want to make sure people realize that. I will say this, and I'll, I'll kind of allude off just the last point you made. Um, with all of the quarterback turnover, uh, you see Van Dyke got benched uh, this past weekend with Middle Tennessee State, and they eventually lost. And you're looking at some of those other quarterbacks that are kind of, uh, I guess, slipping down the quarterback rankings. And you're still seeing Jordan Travis, even though he did get hurt in the Louisville game, you're still seeing him progress as a quarterback. Um, I always thought of him around that six or seven range, um, originally before the season, um, and thought he can escalate himself up if he stayed healthy. With that being said, and all of the quarterbacks around the ACC right now, what? who is the top quarterback in the conference right now? Is it is it a Jordan Travis? 
is it a Sam Hartman, Devin Leary, you know, Malik Cunningham, you know, who who would that top option be? And do you think Jordan Travis, by the end of the season, has a legitimate chance to be a top quarterback in the ACC? Man, this is, again, this top secret stuff. But I got inbox this morning. Uh, 8 a.m., by the way, East Coast time, by one Kenneth Dillingham. It in my inbox was I told JC I told you I told you that boy was good. So a lot of when I tell a lot of people my Jordan Travis affinity was literally helped by Kenny Dillingham by breaking down what was happening this days and just how much he talked about. It. And he made a statement: Jordan Travis with decent talent around him, is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Now, he keeps playing this way. We'll see. And he'll have his opportunity against Sam Hartman. I'm going to give Sam Hartman, let him keep his his belt until we knock him out. I'm, I'm just – if you go in and you fight the champ, you can't just hope it goes to the cards. You got to knock the champ out. So – and I saw the way he played against Clemson, and that was just – that was a national thing. He didn't lose that game, um, but I would like to see how he goes head to head. And I think it's it's actually beautiful. Everybody that they've said he's is better than him, he gets to go head up and prove how much better he is than them. And what's wild is he's doing it as a quarterback, not as the receiver that can throw the ball. He hasn't even used his legs ability. So I I think right now. He's the second-best quarterback in the Congress to Sam Hartman. But I think we have a, a great opportunity to prove that that he is that guy. Well, I think this week, or when we play against Wake Forest, and I do believe that, you know, we'll have some key players back as far as the defense goes and the offensive line. We'll have key players back, and I think that we're going to – I think we're going to show the world finally where we keep getting discredited at. It's like we've we've only beat LSU, we've only beat Louisville, we've only beat uh, Boston College. So we haven't beat anybody according to everybody else. Um, so once we beat Wake Forest, which, you know, the, the biggest tale right now is, is that Wake Forest took Clemson down to the, to the last second, overtime, blah, blah, blah. So now Wake Forest is getting all this hype because they took Clemson so far into the game. So once I think Wake Forest comes to Tallahassee and Florida State plays Florida State football the way that they just did against Boston College and we pull that game out in a win and then therefore it shows that Jordan Travis is the better quarterback and then it shows that Florida State's the better team, then maybe, maybe the rest of everybody else will start saying, okay, Florida State's probably going to beat Clemson, or Florida State's probably going to win X amount of more games this year because it's taking all of this, like, no matter who we beat, it's, like you said a second ago, it's, oh, they're just Boston College, or, oh, this is LSU's first year with their head coaching and coaching staff. Or, But what has LSU done since we beat them? What did Louisville just go do since we beat them? What was Louisville doing before we beat them when they came back and beat UCF in a crazy fashion in that game? 
UCF might not be Alabama and might not be Georgia for sure, but they're not a bad coach team and they're not a bad team. So it's not just an easy win to go beat them in Orlando. LSU going and playing Mississippi State. Mississippi State might not be Georgia or Alabama, but they're a damn good coach team and they've been winning ball games. So maybe everybody else doesn't want to add up what these other teams have done that makes them makes our wins more credible. But what happens when LSU goes in and beats Florida? How much more credible does that make our our win against LSU? Or what happens when Wake Forest wins the rest of their ACC games after we beat them? Then how much more credible does that win become? So, Taylor, what do you think about exactly what I'm talking about? What do you feel about Florida State? Do you feel like we're being disrespected from a national standpoint? Or do you feel like that they have the right to and we have a lot more to prove? I mean, when you look at Mike Nova talking in recent press conferences, he talks about the rankings about how he doesn't need to be value, uh, validated about anything. His team doesn't either. They don't care if they're going to be ranked 23rd, which they did get ranked 23rd in the AP poll, but they don't care about that. Um, they care about getting better each and every day. And if you're going to be able to do that in an efficient level, uh, you know, most experts thought that we'd go maybe four and three in this stretch, five and two at, at best. And now you're looking at this game and, like, saying, well, we might have a very, very good chance against Wake Forest at this point. You know, we're six-point home favorites at this point, and uh, we'll see how the bad weather goes. We'll, we'll kind of monitor that as we go. But just overall, I mean, this coaching staff understands that, you know, they have a chip on their shoulder, and they really want to be successful in all kind of facets. So I'm super excited. I, I think that Wake Forest last season – you let them score 35 points last year, but you also had six turnovers. They uh, also don't have Christian Bill Smith at running back anymore. They have a terrible running game, a terrible defense, and really you're basically banking it off of mesh concepts, Sam Hartman, and A.T. Perry. That's about their offense. So if you stop that, the world's your oyster. James, what do you think about, from the national standpoint, I mean, I like it. I like that people are discrediting us, to be honest. I like that we're only ranked 23rd. I wouldn't even have mind if we would have went another week and pissed right. everybody off fan-wise and we wouldn't have been ranked at all. But they rank us at 23, so still disrespectful, in my opinion. But do you feel like we have more to prove? Or is it that just – like you said, man, when we beat somebody, oh, it's just – you know, that's how – it's they're not that great. But, when, you know, if we were to have lost to them, well, you were supposed to lose to them. So do you feel like nationally we're being discredited or do you feel like there's, you know, a lot more for us to prove? Because I think we have things to prove. But what are your thoughts? I think there's a lot for everybody to prove that's not Georgia or Alabama. Um, this Clemson team is clearly not a top five traditional team. Is NC State the number 10 team in the nation? Um, they almost, they should have lost the Liberty, if I remember correctly. Um, did Florida, who did beat Utah, the Utah more lost that game, and then proceeded to play really bad after that, did, did they do anything to earn the top, top 25 ranking? Same thing with Miami. No, but I think people get too caught up in rankings and what 
other people say. It all pans out. Honestly, I'm one of those people who believes that rankings shouldn't even come out until week eight because then we know what we have. Um, but And I remember when we won the national championship in 2013, we were severely disrespected. Um, I believe we were a top 15 team until losses happened and we kept winning. The beautiful thing of being in a Power 5 conference is all you have to do is what Al Davis so eloquently said, win. Just win, baby. Because if you win, when it's all said and done, you'll be in the top five, top ten area, which I'm going to be frank, and I don't mean this as a disrespect to the program, but we're not a playoff team. We're a ball team. I believe we're a, a, a was it big six or whatever they call it? I believe we're a big time, a New Year's Day bowl team. We're just not like we ain't ready for Georgia. <laughs> we ain't ready for those guys. We don't have the depth or the talent in every position for those, but we're on that, we're going that direction. So I don't care. Keep disrespecting us. Gives you something to go out there and strive for. Um, I just really don't, I don't care about the rank. The only thing the rankings do is get you college game day. And we don't really have a good record when they come here. So like, I really don't want them to come here anyway. Uh, I will say this, and the AP poll released today, like we talked about, 23rd in the country. We talk about rankings. Uh, Teams 16 through about 40 are probably around the same skill level, about the same resume at this point. We're only four games into the season. Do you really think Florida State is much worse than Baylor, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, BYU, I mean, Arkansas, Minnesota? I mean, those teams are all ranked ahead of us at this point. And when you look at that and look at the logistics of everything going on, do you really think that there is, let's just say, six or seven teams better than us in that regard? I mean, we could easily be ranked 17th, 18th at this point. It's just a number ranking at this point. I don't think you really need to base everything off of a ranking like James talked about. But um, I just think everything's getting a little bit more overvalued. And I think – that kind of puts a chip on people's shoulders at that point, just to say that they aren't where they need to be. James talked about it. We're not a playoff contender. We're not going to – I mean, you know, unless something surprises us this year and we go 12-0 and or 11-1, and which I don't know if that will happen. I, I won't count out this team, but I will say that as of right now, when you're looking at the outlook of playing a Wake Forest, you know, NC State, Clemson, you know, Florida, Miami, you know, those games get kind of rough at the end too, even, even how their seasons go. Um, it just looks like Florida State is just kind of getting to a situation where they want to be the underdog in the situation, and it's better to be that way. Maybe we're not, you know, because I agree with both of you. I don't feel like we're a playoff team yet. But what happens when Norvell and this staff start pulling off, getting some of these guys to stick around for one more year, and you bring in some of these 2022 guys that are starting to get some – you know, some reps underneath them. And then the transfers have been here another year. And then you bring in probably some more transfers and you get it on Akeem Williams that could possibly start day one, maybe, maybe not. But then you get Kearney and Sam, you know, all these guys that are going to start coming in. There's 
there's some blue chip names that are coming in as other people call them. I just call them dogs when they're dogs. Um, but maybe next year, you know, if you keep a Jordan Travis and you keep some of these guys on this roster for the 2023 season, now you might start talking about Florida State being one of those playoff contenders. That's how close I think we are personally. Um, I do agree with both of you that we're not there yet. But, man, we sure are striving in the right direction to be 4-0 after starting last year at 0-4. And then, you know, this is true. Like, Wake Forest, this is the start to see what type of team we got. This is the the other end of this schedule that is questionable. Like, these are a lot of 50-50 games at this point, so that's agreed upon. But Wake Forest, in my opinion, I think Florida State could have their number this year. Um, just based off of depth and talent that we do have. And like you said, Taylor, I mean, their offense is pretty much two guys. I mean, it's and their defense isn't great by any means. Hmm. So Florida State can go play this game and win it. And I think that we will. Um, so another question that I have for both of you is, what does Florida State do, in y'all's opinion, for the rest of 2023? Two, as far as recruiting for 2023, is there any major positions that y'all think we should still be looking at recruit-wise or transfer portal-wise? Do y'all see any, you know, like linebacker needs help, but we've, you know, got two coming in for the class. Omar's going to step up next year. So what do you think? Uh, Taylor, uh, that goes? I, got a, I got a guy, James, James is stomping grounds, uh, Jordan Hall, a uh, guy the defensive tackle. Um, you got Robert Cooper. You got Fabian Love that's probably going to leave after this season. That's two massive uh, defense tackles you have to replace. And you talk about it before. Mike's biggest recruiting job is going to try to get some of these players back on the roster for next season. And if they don't, they have to get elite talent at certain positions. And that is definitely a position that you need to sure up on. Now, I know that Malcolm Ray and Joshua Farmer and Jared Jackson, those, those guys are going to be successful, but they also need some help. Uh, Daniel Lyons is also another younger kid. Bishop Thomas, they like a lot of these younger guys, but they need some of those elite talent to come in and be able to push the competition in that room. And I think Jordan Hall is a guy that they really, really like. Um, it's an uphill battle a little bit, um, but with Florida State's 4-0 start, winning cures everything in recruiting. Uh, it's very rea reactionary. So it could be a situation where Florida State gets in the driver's seat pretty early on. If Georgia and Florida and some of these other teams doesn't step in, uh, even so, I think Florida State still has a decent shot, especially with Odell leading the charge in that one. Um, you know, I think Big Baby is will be a good get. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's a guy <laughs> built like Ayo. I can tell you that much. Ayo's Jesus. Every time I dap that kid up, it's like a play. I think that's why I'm sure. Between him and Jazz, like beating me up. Um, but here's what I think is going to happen: We made a tremendous investment in the offensive line. I think between transfer portal and recruiting, you need to make a tremendous um, investment in your in your front center. So not just your D line, but like you know, so we need to find some transfer linebackers. There's there's a few. Who entered the portal already? Uh, that you can kick the tires on, see if there's something there. There's obviously going to be some more um, D tackles because you do have Coop that will more than likely not come back. 
Fabian, I think due to the injury, probably will lean him more likely to come in back. Jared Jackson has played very well. Um, Farmer's playing well. Ray's playing well. So another year with those guys. But I'm, but I'm just thinking we brought in 10 offensive linemen in this past cycle. Bringing in 10 bodies in your front seven would be um, a tremendous upgrade. Um, I think we're pretty good in the secondary. And I think you just continue to add pieces that can develop, that can raise the bar. Um, I think what they have at wide receiver will be good. I think there's some kids, there's still a chance that your Jalen Browns or your Sheldon Samson's, I think I said his name right, the kid from Baton Rouge. Um, I don't think those recruitments are over. Um, if you're able to somehow get one of those, now you got to look at your numbers. I actually like our, our other wide receiver commanders. One of them, I may have to see in the playoffs with the high school I coach at. I watched him score three touchdowns in the game, and I'm like, yo. And we have D1 corners, and I'm terrified of that kid. But I think quarterback, I think every year you have to bring in a quarterback, whether it be a transfer guy or a high school guy. And there's a young man. I got a question for you. So you just talked about Shelton Sampson, who is an LSU commit. Uh, he's also got Ricky Collins, it, you know, that's an LSU commit, the four-star uh, there. Do you think if we're able to get Sampson in that regard, do you think there is a better chance to roll the dice a little bit more on Collins and get him back into the mix with the Florida State in that regard? I think, the, yeah. All I mean say, yes. I think – there's a young man right now who's got to be kicking himself. Um, and that's just the nature of the game. Um, I can't think of his name. Our former quarterback commit. He had to do his best for him, and I'm not mad at him. But I think there's a young man who's committed to Kansas State that everybody loved, um, not this past summer, but the summer before that, who's very athletic. I think fits our system. We have the relationship with him. And I think that's not a bad guy to get to bring in and as you're showing what your offense can do. But well, I believe we only really have five spots left in this class from a prep from a prep perspective. So you can be very cautious. I mean, very selective. You're in the top 15 and you're probably not going to move from past that. So um, I think your Jordan Halls. Oh, I'm in the offensive lineman from um, Georgia. Um, name escapes. Chester, DJ Chester. Yeah, Chester. DJ, yeah, Chester. I think one more lineman, maybe a, another prep D lineman. I hate to talk bad about kids because I don't want to talk bad about any of them, but if we find a better D tackle than the one in Savannah, because I think he's more of a project, you know, move on from there, find somebody else, but I'm not mad at the pick, but I think they're Finally, in the situation where if they keep rolling this way, it's point. Hey, you, I want to talk to you. I want to bring you over here. And we haven't had that in quite some time. Um, I will say this, Chris. I want to bring this up to you also. Um, I know that we're kind of still kicking the tires to see what's going on with Michael Mitchell, um, a kid, a running back prospect out of Middleburg. Uh, you kind of want to see more from him with certain reasons I won't get into, but – do you think Florida State, with 
as good as its running back core has been, and you've already got Sam Singleton in there, you've already got Josiah Holmes in there also um, as a walk-on. Uh, you got a C.J. Campbell that's injured, but it's coming back next season. Do you feel the need to offer a Mitchell, or do you think you just kind of need to kind of wait to see how the season goes, maybe offer him a little bit later, kind of see how the situation's going, and then maybe kind of slow roll that recruitment into the December, you know, late November type type situation? I, I do think that you, you keep communication open uh, with Mitchell, but they, we definitely have to see. Like, it's going to be a long process in his recruitment because of the reasons that we need. Like, there are definite things we need to know first. Mm-hmm. Um, if we get him, that's great. If he does what he's – if he proves out to do what he's supposed to, great. But our running back room's not hurting to the fact that we got to get one in this class, um, you know, another one. Because you also, you know, don't leave out Rodney Hill from what he was able to do. Yeah. And what he'll be able to do. CJ Campbell comes back from his injury. Your running back room is like the least of, of my worries, I think should be with most. But you don't also let a kid that if he proves himself and does what's right, we don't not offer him because of you know questions that we had before. So no, I don't I don't think it's a loss if we if we don't get him, but it's a great bonus if we do, if he proves what he's supposed to. And I know James talked about the the DJ Chester um, situation with how many offensive linemen we got last cycle with having 10 new bodies coming in there. Do you think it's less of an emphasis to get like, what should say four offensive linemen? Do you think it's more, okay, let's go ahead and get Kearney Simmons and Chester and be done. Or do you, think, you think that's it? I, yeah, I would that's, what, that's what the horse's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> it was like two to three. Um, and I remember that very, very um, distinctly this past summer. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would say unless something falls out of the sky. Yeah, like right. a guy, like the number one offensive tackle in the nation, or the, the Samoa kid who's at Miami says, "You know what? Yeah. These guys are liars and frauds. I want to come see what y'all are about." Then you you take that. But outside of that, wasn't there? Wasn't there a defensive tackle that decommitted from somewhere this past week, though? There was pretty high. He's pretty high on the board for everybody. I can't remember who it was, but. Yeah, I'm Louisville just had a couple people decommit yeah. from where they're at. But I think that kid is going to. I think, that's, I think he's going to USC. There, there's one that just decommitted this past, like, couple of days ago. And he hasn't committed anywhere yet. He just put up on his Twitter and stuff that he was open. We were after him beforehand. But like we never really got in communication. Like, he wasn't interested at the time. And the team that he was committed to, this is why it's, it was Notre Dame. I think he's right in the comments. I think that's exactly who it was. But I, I kind of like the kids' film myself. Uh, and that's why it's upsetting me a little bit because I can't remember who it is. But I, I would definitely, I, I would definitely offer him again. I would try to rekindle that relationship, if at all possible. Seeing how he is very undecided on where he's going, and he seems to be extremely talented, um, and we wanted him beforehand. So, I, and I'll find out who that is, and then bring that all back up again. But 
it wasn't. Uh, you said it was a D lineman. Notre Dame's Elijah Page was it was offensive tackle. That might have been who I was thinking about, but no, there's a there's definitely a defensive tackle that just decommitted from somewhere, but I'll find him because he just did it like Friday, so he hasn't. You know, when we might already be in communication, I don't know. I haven't I haven't went that far into it, um, but I'll find out who it was and let both of y'all know, and then we'll bring it up on the next show, but. Um, Really, everybody, I think it was a, a decent recap to Florida State, you know, beating Boston College in a, a dominant fashion. Finally, we were able to keep our foot on the gas, our foot on the neck, so to speak, and show our dominance across, whether it be just, you know, special teams. Um, you know, one thing we all got to agree to, even with some missed field goals, this is by far a better special teams than we've seen last year. By far. So, and uh, uh, also as well, uh, it's very grateful that we had a packed out Duke Campbell Stadium because if you go to Coral Gables and uh, see that game this past Saturday, there there might be enough attendance to uh, field a high school game. There uh, wasn't enough. Uh, there wasn't. There was not enough. <sighs> there wasn't enough to fill a high school game. There was. Depends wasn't. on what stadium you go to. You know, you well. You have to go to maybe Pee-wee a middle school, school game then. Yeah. And as long as they ain't playing on a high school field, because I'm te- look, uh, I've wrote, I've wrote uh, Coach Coop, and I know he's upset because he hadn't even wrote me back yet, and he usually writes me back pretty quickly. You know, the guy's very realistic on Miami's expectations, very realistic on what they should be doing. That's why he's one of the only Miami fans that I can speak to, because he's very rational. That's crazy to say when it comes to a Miami fan, but because he does the same thing that we're doing, you know, where we have to be somewhat rational, we can't just be biased 100%. We could be, but we're not. Um, and he hasn't responded to me on what, you know, it, what, when you're talking about TVD at the beginning of the season, as a potential Heisman candidate, as a potential number one quarterback, and I mean, I think they gave him the number one quarterback in the ACC from some people. Some people voted him as number one. When you have to bench him and bring in the Garcia guy, what did that just did you just lose all credibility at that point because you had to bench him? Or is this a um what's the kid that played for Auburn that now plays he's the quarterback, number ten was oh, like no the 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 uh, Bo Nix. When you know when they had to sit him because of his just poor player or whatever when he was at Auburn. So is this where we're getting to with here's the funniest thing, James here. I want I want to ask you about about your guy maybe a little bit. I don't want you want to call him your guy. But Ruiz come out on Twitter and said that at least part of the problem with Miami losing games is because of the type of stadium that they're playing in. If they had a stadium that held forty thousand, they would be more likely to win these games. Where was that Daddy Ruiz or was that the son? Hell, I don't know. But I think it was the son. Them, either one of them, they should be. It was acid. It was a stupid statement. Had nothing to do with why you lost to Rick Stocksdale and the former former FSU Seminole, yeah. by the way, <laughs> um, with his Bobby Bowden um, in memorial memorial hat um, on his hat. I here's 
was wild. And I said this about FSU fans. FSU fans complain about noon games, right? Well, I played in a quite a few noon games. Don't ever remember noon games not being packed. Um, the Orange Bowl when Miami again, I when I played, it was a few years removed from Miami actually being relevant. So like the, they won, they won the Natty. My senior year in high school, I'm a junior. My senior year in high school, went to one where they lost to Ohio State my freshman year in college. But every time we played Miami, in Miami, it was packed. It was never empty in the, in the old Orange Bowl. You heard people complain about Texas A&M. It's like, man, I wouldn't come here. It takes me 90 minutes and there's no restaurants. At least it takes me 30 minutes to go home from leaving Coral Gables, wherever the, wherever the stadium, in Miami Gardens. So you go from it takes you 30 minutes to go home to, oh, well, if we had a campus, I mean, if we had a stadium on campus. And his argument is right if the argument were we'd have a fuller campus if we had a one-campus stadium. That does not equate to wins because when Miami is winning, when Florida is winning, when Florida State is winning, there is no excuse for having a full stadium. When we play, even when they're not, when we play Miami, the last time I went was when we tagged first year, 2018. It was crazy. It was packed. It was very quiet. We were whooping that behind. But when Miami came back, just know this. Taylor, have you ever been to the press box at all? It's going to rock. Yeah. Like when, they, when they're getting after it, the press box sways. So it was loud. And if you can't feel it, you just, it just shows that you have, you're have you a terrible fan and you're looking for an excuse. Go to the game, support the teams. Um, miss me with there's a lot of stuff to do in Miami. That's an excuse. You either, if you're a Miami Hurricane fan, you only have seven Saturdays, seven to eight Saturdays where you're going to have football a year. You mean to tell me you can't at least go to half of those? I just think it's an excuse. It's my opinion. I absolutely agree. It's, it's <laughs> win, lose, whatever. You you should be ashamed of yourself if you're within distance of getting to those ball games and not watching them. Regardless if you know they're going to get wiped or not, it doesn't matter. Like last year, I was very impressed with Florida State's fan base. Even after we had an 0 4 start, we continued to show up, in my opinion. Wasn't happy because we didn't feel dope enough. But last year, the Miami game, that that entire stadium was – I mean, that was amazing. It was just as good to me, if not better, than the Notre Dame game last year. And that's my opinion. But there was a, it was electric in dope when Miami was there last year. Um, it, it was weird, though. It seems like Miami fans show up to the – Regardless of the Florida State Miami games in Doak or if it's at Miami, they show up for that game. But any of the other games, they don't show up it's, for them. It's their Super Bowl. Let's, let's just go ahead and the, say it. The, the other piece of it, too, so I like good seats, right? So something that I thought about doing, and it was a trick. If you're a booster, you get better seats at the stadium. Miami's booster levels aren't bad. So what I thought about doing was 
I will buy a season ticket pass to the University of Miami. And I'll just sell the tickets. Because I only want to go to one. Well, we, uh, when I looked at it, just look at this year. Forget it. I don't even remember what. But look at this year. Who? Oh, yeah. Everybody's beating out the door for Middle Tennessee State. Everybody's beating out the door for who did they play before that? The other all these G five teams. Like in, and then the coastal the coastal bracket they have isn't overly exciting either. They don't play Clemson that travels well. They don't play. They don't really get to play Notre Dame that often. It's just when you're looking at what they're what they have, it's not even. It's nothing that motivates you to even want to go see. At least you want to see Florida State. That's your rival. FSU knows that every year we're going to see at home Miami or Florida, Clemson more than likely, and it's going to be games that you're just like, oh, I got to go see this one. It's going to be a good game, if nothing else. Miami doesn't. You know, Miami gets to play Clemson this year, uh, November 19th. They get to play Pittsburgh, which, and this might be just my opinion, but I feel like Pittsburgh's fan base travels decent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was asked this question, and this is up here. Why do Florida State fans, is it just because of the rivalry that we get on Miami's case for having a rented stadium when Pittsburgh does the same thing? Well, that's different. Pittsburgh's stadium is like it's all we into it. Like if the universe, so Miami used Miami's practice facility used to be with Nova Nova Southeastern University, mm-hmm. so it would that would be the equivalent of what Pitt has. Pitt literally shares everything with the Pittsburgh Steelers practice facilities, weight room. They have what the NFL team has. Miami is a school that commutes. Yep. It's not the same. It's not the same. What's, what it's equivalent to is what South Florida does. Mm-hmm. South Florida, but they're building a stadium. So, but South Florida for years was commuting to Raymond James. Mm-hmm. And you're not even sharing practice facilities. It's nothing in common except for that stadium. Well, Taylor, give us your last thoughts on, you know, the Boston College game or – the, your thoughts on the Wake Forest game coming? Let everybody know where to follow and all that. And I'm, I'm, guys, y'all know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, love everybody that supports the show. See y'all again tomorrow. Go knows. Make sure y'all listen to the guys on where to follow them and all of that. And we'll see y'all tomorrow. Yeah, great win against Boston College. Looking forward to uh, talking about Wake coming up with the next podcast and everything. Super excited to see how that pans out. Great turnout for Boston College. Let's go ahead and turn it out for Wake Forest as well. Um, James had an awesome tailgate. Uh, I'm sure he'll he'll talk about that more, but I know he had a great time there, and I know he had a great event sharing a lot of those kids coming to the game and getting those experiences. And So uh, really exciting to see with that. Uh, also, you can follow my Instagram account, at Norvell Central. You can follow my Twitter account, at Central Norvell. Uh, looking at some YouTube stuff I'm trying to get uh, handled with and everything, just trying to juggle everything at once. But hopefully we can get some stuff going with that. But that's all I got. At Big Game James underscore 36 on IG and at Twitter. 
Uh, right now, we're trying to get 100 kids to the Wake Forest game. Um, the tickets are about $30. Um, that ticket will also get them a poncho because I want to make sure my guys um, don't get overly wet because uh, hurricane or not, if the hurricane comes early or not, it's probably still going to be some precipitation there. So I want to make sure those guys are taken care of. Um, you can go on my Twitter or you can hit me up and I'll tell you how you can um, donate to that. Um, just check us out, continue to support the channel, and I'm loving being 4 0. Looking forward to being 5 0 and go nose. All right, everybody, y'all have a good one and go nose.